You're listening to episode number 11 of the Living Richer podcast, and today I'm going to be talking about registered accounts. Now, let's see if I can get this all in one take. Tax-free, tax-deferred, tax-sheltered, self-directed plans, group plans, regular plans, RSPs, TFSAs, RDSPs, Lira, LIF, RIF, defined benefit, defined contribution, locked-in Oh, I messed up. There were so many on my list. I wanted to see if I can get through it the whole way. There are so many different types of accounts and confusing acronyms that trying to navigate the maze, much less talk about it, can be so confusing. So what we're going to try and do today is take you past sort of the basic understanding of how these plans work. And we're going to try and put an end to all of the confusion, or at least most of it. And I'm going to cover all of the critical accounts, demystify some of those terms. So without any further ado, cue the music. Welcome to Living Richer with Mark Shimkovitz, Vice President at Raymond James Private Client Group, one of Canada's largest independent investment firms. In this podcast, he'll share with you the things you need to know and things you need to do to build a smart financial plan. Follow along with Mark and learn how to invest wisely, avoid financial mistakes, and navigate life's curveballs without fear. Now, let's get started. So as I said, today's episode is about understanding registered accounts. And as always, I'm your host, Mark Shimkowitz, and your guide to helping you live a richer life. In the last episode, we focused in on RSPs. It was in the middle of RSP season, what they are, how they work, how they help you build your wealth, and, and also some of the really cool ways that you can leverage them. Uh, so be sure to check that episode if you didn't listen to it, because I'm not going to be covering everything again today. Otherwise, you'd be tuning out pretty quickly. Today, I'm going to walk you through some of the other fairly common registered accounts, and hopefully you'll walk away with a better understanding of how they work and which ones make the most sense for you. For the most part, all accounts in Canada are divided into two categories. They're either registered or they're non-registered. The main difference is that government registered plans like RSPs, RIFs, TFSAs, and registered education savings plans, they help you grow savings on a tax-sheltered basis. Non-registered accounts could be a cash account, a margin account, or a joint investment account. They don't have any financial incentives. A registered account is simply an investment account that's given some tax-deferred or tax-sheltered status by the government. Income earned in those accounts is not taxed until it's withdrawn, or in the case of a TFSA, you never pay any tax on it. So just from a terminology standpoint, you might hear someone say, I'm going to buy an RRSP. Well, you don't. You don't buy an RRSP. You might buy something in an RRSP, but you don't buy an RRSP. These are just accounts. Now, in order to ensure that registered accounts are used the way that they're intended, the government does put a lot of rules in place. If an investor wants to avoid getting penalized, you really got to pay attention to them. They, the government says what types of investments are actually eligible in registered accounts. What happens when you withdraw? How is it taxed? Who pays the tax? A non-registered account doesn't enjoy the same tax-sheltered status as a registered account does. They are, I guess, more general types of investment accounts where you can invest in a wide range of assets and you're required to pay taxes on an annual basis or if there's you know, capital gains that gets deferred. The choice between a registered account or a non-registered account 
depends on a lot of things, including, of course, your marginal tax rate, like how much tax are you paying, the types of investments you want to invest in, the nature of those types of returns, whether it's capital gains, dividends, or interest, the amount you plan to invest, in the investing purpose. Is it going to be for retirement savings or is it short-term funding or is it for your kid's college tuition and whether or not you've maxed out on other plans? So that's what's going to dictate the plan that you're looking at. And as we're going through the types of plans, what I want to suggest is that you think about how they work and which ones make the most sense for you. To help you, you should be asking yourself questions like this. Number one, what savings plans do I already have in place? Number two, what's my current income and how does that compare with what I think I'll be making in the next few years down the road? The third one would be, what are my savings goals? Like, am I focused on saving for retirement, which is clearly longer term, or am I saving for the down payment of a house in a few years? Maybe I'm saving for my child's education, a new car, a vacation. The goals that you have greatly influence the type of account you're going to want to look at. And the last point is that you should also ask yourself how much flexibility do you need for your uh, general savings goals? Because as you're going to see, some accounts give you a lot of flexibility. Other ones are pretty restrictive. So in this episode, we're going to focus in on the major types of accounts. I can't cover them all. So we're going to look at RSPs, we're going to look at RIFs, we're going to look at touch on, touch on locked-in uh, retirement accounts, tax-free savings accounts, and RESPs, Registered Education Savings Plans. So let's start with RSPs, which of course stands for Registered Retirement Savings Plans. They were first introduced in 1957 by the government as a way to incentivize and motivate people to save for retirement. And the way they did that was they set out a couple of benefits. The first one being any money that you put into an RRSP is a tax deduction for you. And any amount of growth is tax deferred. That means, of course, that you're going to be paying tax when you take it out. When RRSPs first came out back in 1957, the maximum you could put in in any year was $2,500 up to uh, a maximum of 10% of your previous year's earned income. It's a little higher now. Uh, In fact, the RSP contribution limit for 2021 is going to be 18% of last year, 2020 your earned income up to a maximum of $27,830. So in addition, you can add any unused contribution room from previous years. So to find out what your personal limit is, check your notice of assessment that you got from CRA last year. Now, as I mentioned, Because your contribution works as a tax deduction, it lowers your taxable income, which means that either you owe less tax if you didn't have enough withheld, or for the vast majority of people, it's going to mean a tax refund. That means you could be getting 30, 40, 50% back in the province of Ontario, depending on your tax bracket. In addition to the tax savings up front, the other major benefit of an RSP is tax sheltered growth. Because you're not paying any tax on the income or growth of the returns while it's in there, your wealth grows a lot quicker um, as compared to, say, holding money in a non-registered account where you're going to have to pay taxes along the way. Another benefit of an RRSP is that the contribution room gets carried forward. So if you didn't take full advantage of the contribution room you had in any given year, it actually accumulates. It builds up year after year. So 
if this year you could contribute 10,000, but you only put in five, the leftover $5,000 simply gets added on to your contribution room for next year. In fact, it gets carried forward indefinitely, so you're not ever going to lose it. Now, although that might sound like a good thing, if you're not maximizing this year because you didn't have the money, the data shows us that it's unlikely that you're going to contribute next year. In fact, according to StatsCan, there's over $1 trillion of unused RSP contribution room held by all Canadians. Now, when we talk about tax associated with the returns on your RSP, it's important to know that an RSP doesn't provide permanent shelter from taxation. What does that mean? It means that you're actually deferring the tax until a future date. What that means is that at some point when you withdraw money from your RSP or maybe you're going to convert it to a RIF um, further on down the road, we'll talk about that, you're going to be paying tax on the money when it comes out. So what happens to your RSP savings upon death? Well, a lot of what happens actually depends on whether you've designated a beneficiary or not. If you have a surviving spouse or a common-law spouse and you've named that person as your beneficiary under your will or if you've designated it on your RSP, which is what you should be doing, then your RSP assets are simply going to transfer to that person's RSP. If you don't designate a beneficiary for your RSP, then the assets held in the account they become property of your state and simply get distributed according to your will. And in that scenario, and you're not going to like this, Canada Revenue Agency treats the full amount in your RSP as income. It's as if you withdrew that money from your RSP just prior to your death. So that gets added as income in your final tax return. And that can be a pretty hefty tax bill. So another thing you want to know about RSPs is that you can only have one until the end of the year in which you turn 71. So after that, there's a few things you can do. The most common one is to convert your RSP to a RIF, which stands for Registered Retirement Income Fund. A RIF is created from the assets in your RSP, and, and you simply open up a RIF, and all of your investments in your RSP roll over into the RIF. Now, although you can, you can open one earlier, you're required to close your RSP at the end of the year in which you turn 71. Although there are other things that you can do with your money in RSP, like you could cash it out, convert it into annuity, one of the most popular ones is the RIF. When you convert your uh, to a RIF, not a whole lot changes really. You can continue to hold the same investments and manage your money the same way. The main difference is that while when you had your RSP, you were allowed to put money in every year, with a RIF, you're required to take money out every year. And there's a, a calculation that goes into that. And the minimum in the year that you turn 71 is 5.28%. They look at the value of your RIF at the end of the year, so on December 31st, Plunk on, plunk, is that a word? 5.28%. If you had $100,000, that means you're going to have to take out $5,280 in the following year. Now, I just want to touch briefly on group RSPs because if you work for a company that offers one, you really should pay attention. If you're not already enrolled, you got to figure out how to do so. Why? Because you might be missing out on free money and who doesn't want free money? A group RSP is a great perk. They're they're kind of designed to encourage you to save at work by contributing through your payroll deductions. 
both you and your employer can contribute to the plan depending on how the rules work. Uh, and every plan might have different rules. When you put money in, they're going to match it in some way. And there's, as I say, usually a formula and a limit as well as to how much they're going to match. It could be that they match dollar for dollar, uh, whatever you put in. There's going to be a maximum. It's typically based on your income. Uh, let's just use a quick example. Say you're uh, working for a company that has a dollar for dollar plan up to a maximum of 5% of your earnings to a maximum of $100,000. That means that if you put in $5,000, they'll match $5,000 into your RSP. Their contribution, now that's it's going to be a taxable benefit to you, but you get a tax deduction for the full $10,000. That's right. So all the contributions, both yours and your employer's, are tax deductible to you. And all investment earnings, they grow tax sheltered. Now, if you leave the job, the group RSP, it's not locked in. It's yours when you leave. And you can transfer it to your own individual RSP wherever you happen to hold it. Um, it really makes a lot of sense. So as I said, if you don't already have a group RSP, definitely want to give your HR department a call and, and see if you can uh, figure out how to get into it. Now, let's move on to the increasingly popular tax-free savings account, so the TFSA. They were started in 2009. The government decided that we needed another way to save money and to save on taxes. So, hey, no complaining here. So they created the TFSA. It allows all eligible individuals over 18 years of age to invest up to a certain maximum per year. In 2021, the contribution limits $6,000. Now, unlike an RRSP, you don't get a tax refund when you put the money in. If you didn't maximize in previous years, sort of like an RRSP, it gets carried forward. Any unused uh, TFSA contribution room actually gets carried forward indefinitely. So if you were over 18 in 2009 when they were started and you never put any money in, your total contribution room today is $75,500. You can take money out of a TFSA at any time, never pay any taxes on the returns or on the withdrawals. Another interesting difference about TFSAs is that you can actually recontribute the money that you took out. Now, here's a big underlined bold print disclaimer. Whatever you take out, you have to wait until the following year to put it back in. If you try and put the money back in in the same year, it's like you've over-contributed and you're going to be hit with a fine for over-contributing um, because you've already you know, gone over your maximum. And if that part sounds confusing, you're not alone because I remember in the early years of TFSAs, a lot of people were getting caught up in this over-contribution mess. So if you're planning on taking money out and you think you might be putting it back in, be sure to speak to your financial advisor. Now, I saw an interesting survey recently where it found that 48% of Canadians say that their tax-free savings accounts is for retirement. And that's great. But that's probably not true because the other thing that they looked at was the types of investments that Canadians hold in their tax-free savings accounts. And for the most part, people are keeping large cash balances. Great. You're not making anything, so you're not paying any taxes anyways. They're also holding on to uh, short-term investments like GICs or money market funds. So it really does appear that Canadians have spoken with their choices uh, that they're making and that they've decided um, on specific purposes for the different types of accounts that are available to, to them. In effect, 
Canadians believe that registered retirement savings plans are for retirement savings. Makes sense. Taxable investment accounts, as I mentioned, margin accounts, cash accounts, joint accounts, those are for long-term savings and investments, whereas tax-free savings accounts are for short-term emergency savings. Now, unfortunately, if this is true, I think that Canadians are missing out on a great the greatest advantage of a tax-free savings account, and that is long-term accumulation of tax-free investments. Canadians need to change their views on TFSAs from short-term emergency fund, which is important, don't get me wrong, um, but more focusing, uh, having those focus on long-term investment accounts. And the truth of the matter is, the long-term benefits of a TFSA really do far exceed those of an RSP and, of course, of taxable investment accounts. One of the most important characteristics of a tax-free savings account is the ability to accumulate investment income free of all taxation. You earn your, uh, you earn income through your work or business or whatever it is. You pay your tax on it. You put that money into a TFSA, and you never have to pay another dime of tax on your savings, on your returns, ever. Now, don't get me wrong. As I said, RSPs are great but they don't allow you to avoid paying taxes altogether. Rather, they just defer tax to a later date. One of the benefits of knowing that you'd um, have to pay tax on an RSP withdrawal is that you're not likely to do it. Here's a couple quick tips on TFSAs. First, if you hold investments in a TFSA as well as a non-registered investment account, and you're focusing on managing all of your money as a total pool, which I think is a great idea, then the income producing investments should be held in your tax-free savings account because those are taxed at a higher rate compared to your growth and dividend generating assets because they have a lower tax rates. Those should be held in your non-registered account. Another tip is that in most cases, lower income individuals should first focus on their TFSA before an RSP. As I mentioned before, one of the main benefits of an RSP is the tax refund. And if you're in a lower marginal tax bracket and you're not getting that benefit, TFS putting the money into a TFSA um, is probably a better choice because you could hold off until you're in a higher tax bracket. You're going to build up some RSP contribution room. And when you're in that higher tax bracket, you could always use the money that's in your TFSA as a source of funds if you needed to. Now, the last registered account we're going to talk about is um, very popular, of course, amongst parents and grandparents, and that's the Registered Education Savings Plan, or ESP. Now, this is an account that's set up to help parents uh, to pay for their kids' post-secondary education. And here's one of those very few places where you can actually get free money from the government. An RESP is, as I said, designed to encourage parents to save for their kids' post-secondary education. And when you put money into an RESP, the government matches it with a 20% cash grant. And it's up to a maximum of $500 in grants per year. So that means that you can put in up to $2,500 a year to get that $500 grant. So right off the bat, your $2,500 becomes $3,000. The government grants are a pretty amazing benefit. And, and think about it. Where else are you going to get paid $500 for every $2,500 you save? You're essentially getting a 20% return immediately. Now, there's a lifetime maximum of grants, uh, and that's $7,200. 
and there's also a maximum that you can put in and that's $50,000 over a child's lifetime. Now, if you're quick with math, you'd realize that, well, wait a second, if you're getting 20% in grants on $50,000, you'd be getting $10,000. So yes, if you contribute the maximum, you won't get grants on all of it. In fact, once you go past $36,000, that's sort of the 20% of $36,000, that's what leaves you at that $7,200 in grants. Anything you put in above $36,000, uh, gets to grow tax sheltered, and that's not such a bad thing either. Another uh, thing that's unique about RESPs, though, is that when it comes out um, and the money is used for your child's post-secondary education, tuition, books, rent, all that kind of stuff, it's considered income for the child, not for the person who per- put the money in. So assuming that they're not making a whole lot of money, the amount of tax that they're going to be paying is pretty low. It, in fact, may not be anything at all. A question I often get about RESPs is, what if the child decides not to go on to post-secondary education? Well, there's a few things. First, you can just leave the RESP open. You don't have to do anything. There's no rush. In fact, an RESP can stay open for 35 years from when it was originally created. So who knows? The child may change their mind. Um, The second thing you can do is you can transfer the RESP to another beneficiary. If you have more than one child, you should consider setting up the RESP as a family RESP. It'll make it easier. When you do that, you can just use the funds for another child that's named under the plan. Even if you didn't set it up as a family RESP in the beginning, but instead you set it up as an individual plan, you can actually transfer the plan to another beneficiary as long as A, they're under 21 years of age, and B, they are a sibling of the original beneficiary. And quickly on family RESPs, all they are um, are uh, RESPs with more than one beneficiary. So if you have more than one child, You can have all of them on one account, which is what we did for our kids. So, for example, like us, you know, we had three kids. That meant we could put in up to $7,500 per year per child, or sorry, $7,500 per year, $2,500 per child, and get a $1,500 grant in total. And you can only have one portfolio in that case to manage, not three, makes things easier. There's no rules as to, Uh, one child or another getting certain amounts so it makes planning a lot easier especially if one of them is going on to do a master's or something like that Uh, the third point is that uh, if you if they don't pursue post-secondary education you can transfer the funds to your RSP and there's guidelines that they have to follow but that's possibly a choice that could make sense the fourth option is that you could close the RESP altogether. And if you decide to do that, you have to understand that um, anything that you put in, in terms of contributions, you can take out tax-free. When it comes to the grants, however, those have to get returned. So if you received the full maximum, $7,200 in grants, you have to pay that back to the government. And finally, since the money was growing tax-free, you're going to have to pay taxes on the on the returns and there's going to be a 20% penalty on the um, investment earnings. Now, before I move on, there's one other thing that I want you to know about um, RESPs is that you will need a social insurance number for each beneficiary. Uh, so if your child doesn't have one, you'll need to get that first before you can set up an RESP. 
And um, I guess there you have it. Those are the main types of registered accounts. I know I didn't cover everything. There's way too much stuff. Um, and that's why I want to remind you that you shouldn't take anything that I said as advice. Before you take any action, be sure to speak to your financial advisor. Ed registered accounts can be confusing. So um, you want to get the right advice on what makes sense for you. For today's episode, I want to wrap up with four tips of the day. First one. In my opinion, the most ideal situation would be one in which an investor has both registered and non-registered accounts. You max out your registered accounts, RSP, TFSA, RESP, and then if you still have funds left over, you'll invest in your non-registered accounts. Second tip, a young person who's you know a new entrant to the workforce and who's starting out at an entry-level salary may want to use um, their tax-free savings account room before contributing to an RSP, except in a scenario where they have an employer matching uh, pension or group RSP, which we already touched on. You definitely want to be taking full advantage of that. Let the RSP contribution room grow. Um, not talking about group RSPs, personal RSPs. Let the RSP contribution grow and build up. And once you're making more money and you're in a higher tax bracket, then you can contribute to an RSP. And if, as I said, the funds aren't there, the money in a TFSA can be used for that RSP contribution. The third tip is open an RESP as soon as possible to start collecting those RESP grants. The government's giving you free money and like I said, come on, who doesn't want free money? And of course, if there's more than one child, set up the family RESP. Fourth point, on the topic of beneficiaries, be sure to designate one for each of your registered accounts, RSP, TFSA, RIFs, uh, they can all roll over tax-free to your spouse or your common-law partner. That's just good financial planning. Thanks so much for joining me today. I can't wait to keep sharing with you and connecting with you. And, you know, we're getting lots of great feedback. And, uh, of course, if you like what you heard, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. And uh, feel free to connect with me offline as well. You know, I, I'm as I said, getting a lot of calls and a lot of input and... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. If there's anything that you'd like to hear in terms of new podcast episodes, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, check out my website, uh, livingricherwealth.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there as well as on Facebook. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you next time on Living Richer. Information in this podcast is from sources believed to be reliable. However, we cannot represent that it is accurate or complete. It is provided as a general source of information and should not be considered personal investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell securities. Raymond James advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. The views are those of Mark Chimpovitz, and not necessarily those of Raymond James Limited. Investors considering any investment should consult with their investment advisor to ensure that it is suitable for the investor's circumstances and risk tolerance before making any investment decision. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member.